Welcome to the floor, sci-fi and fantasy lore. We are continuing our descent into Avernus in part four this time. If you haven't heard the other previous parts, I do recommend it as this is a narrative. We are moving through this adventure. This is not a live play, just we are going through the adventure. They roll perception every once in a while, and that's about it. And then we dive into the lore points, as we have done with the previous adventures, like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. So... Uh, what that looks like if you're just joining us now uh, in this adventure, we're going to encounter the race, the Kenku. And so we'll take a few minutes and dive into the lore, what these creatures are, where they come from, what are some important pieces of their history or backstory. And so we're going to continue into Avernus. If that is the story and the lore you are looking for, this is the episode for you. Roll the intro. Do you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing, so good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world. Another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. Welcome back. We are still in the descent into Avernus. I know it's been a while. We did a whole series on the Blood War. There have been some extra releases and paladins, but we are back with our descent into Avernus. So quick summary here. Uh, the party was forced into service uh, of the Silver Flame, where they were then sent on a mission the Flaming to Fist. Yeah, did I say, what did I say, Fist Flaming? Silver Flame. I said Silver Flame. <laughs> I just edited that episode this morning, so it's on my brain. All right, Flaming Fist, yes, they force us to uh, serve or die, so we choose to serve. We meet a contact at a bar who, according to Aaron, is beaten to death, and then we speak with Dead On. And <laughs> <laughs> then we go to the bathhouse where we discover a secret entrance fight our way through a myriad of cultists to eventually meet Mortlock, who we rescue from uh, the fight that he's in. And he then reveals a lot of information, one of which is that his family, the Van Thumpers, have been hiring the cultists to perform all kinds of crimes across the city to prove that the Flaming Fist is incompetent so that they can bring in their own private team to take over that role. The Watch, right? Well, the Watch worked for all the nobility. They, they would be creating a new organization, right? Okay. So the, flame, the, the Flaming Fist are paid by the nobility of the city, but they're paid a lot less, they're monitored a lot less, and they also serve as the army. The Watch are far Personal more elite. Uh, 
yeah, they're, they're bordering on personal guards. They they do guard the upper city, but an encounter with the watch is only going to be if you're a very wealthy no- noble or they have been sent to get you. And they're going to be very polite and far more dealing with investigations rather than just pummeling everyone and then letting the broken people on the ground figure it out once they've been basically robbed, right? We have pointed out that the Flaming Fist are borderline just thugs, right? Like, people are almost afraid to ask for their help because sometimes they just end up clobbering everyone mm-hmm. and then being like, you guys still upset with each other and you're so breeding and broken. But like, no, mm-hmm. no, we're okay now. Please leave. Yeah, so it wouldn't be the Watch. It would be a private organization that would be only controlled by the Van Thumper family, which is what they want. Gotcha. We rescue Mortlock. We exit the bathhouse. That is where we are at. As you emerge from the bathhouse, five figures leap down from the top of the courtyard wall to confront you. In addition to their black leather armor, they wear strange masks and cloaks that give each of them a vaguely dragon-like appearance. All five brandish curved steel blades reminiscent of dragon claws. And this actually is our first lore point in the episode. This, these are what we call dragon cultists. Thus the masks and the weapons. And I think this is where Skyrim got the idea for these guys. So pull, in Skyrim, what are they? Here. Is this the blades? So like when you come down off of the mountain, you've just gotten your first uh, couple shouts, right? The really tall mountain. Oh, the, and they, the cultists like, who want to bring back, city what's there. his name? Like the actual dragonborn, not you, but this dead guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cultists. Yes, because they've got those masks that are kind of dragon-like. But yeah, so the term dragon cult has several meanings uh, across Faerun, as there are many dragon gods or just very powerful dragons. Um, so Tiamat has her dragon cultists, but there are also dragon cult that worship uh, dragon liches. Uh, and then a common feature across kind of all these cults is the mask that kind of remember, resembles the face of a dragon. And they tend to use either dra- daggers or short swords re- resembling a dragon claw. So, however, the most, uh, I guess, violent and corrupt out of all these is what we call the Cult of the Undead Dragon. So this begins in the year 1370, DR or Del Reckoning. Uh, this cult was created by a powerful wizard, Sam Master, who believed that dragons would one day rule all of Torrell. But since they were mortal and they aged and then uh, would eventually weaken and die, they couldn't do it in their current forms. So they had to become undead to take on immortality before they could rule everything. So the cult has two key goals, the destruction of civilizations to make it easier for the dragons to rule, and helping dragons achieve an undead state. Uh, and th- now this is this is not like our zombie dragon that we created, this is uh, about Draco liches, right? Okay. Turning them into dragon liches, so they maintain their intelligence, their autonomy, and whatnot. So, uh, once they have created a Draco lich, uh, the cult would steal or keep the phylacterally phylactery to control mm-hmm. the powerful undead dragon. So that was how they would manipulate and control these things. So even though they say dragons are going to rule the world, they're trying to rule the world through the dragons, right? Gotcha. So then uh, Semaster eventually dies, and then in 1480 we get Severin Sirjarin, who takes over the leadership of the cult of the undead dragon and slowly turns its focus away from Draco Liches to Tiamat 
pointing out that while powerful, the Draco Liches could give no spells or divine power to their followers, but in worshipping a living and true god, the cult could obtain more power. Okay. And this idea carried weight with a lot of the followers, but it also splintered it into two groups, creating the two factions, one that served uh, Tiamat and those that served the Draco Liches. It is strange to see them in Baldur's Gate as there are no dragons here uh, that we know for the most part, and they serve dragons. Encountering them here is very odd. They could be here recruiting. um, And you also know that cultists can be given visions by the dragons of where any wealth that has been stolen from there was within a thousand feet. That's our lore on it. The cult of the undead dragon, how it splits into a cult of Tiamat and remains a cult of the undead dragon. And these guys are clearly part of one of those two cults. How do you join that cult? So in my research, they're not particular about who can join, but they are particular about what you bring to it. Like, they won't take anybody. You've either got to have wealth, power, or influence, right? If you can't offer them something, they're not interested in just numbers. Oh, okay. So it's like our modern-day government society. You can't offer one of these. Well, there's a variety of cults who function this way. Some cults just want members to suck dry and they figure and they're like, you know, you will figure out how to get us resources. And other cults target the wealthy, the powerful, and the influential because they have more to offer. What was the uh, house that had all the uh secrets? Madani? Is it House Madani that has all the secrets? Because they target <laughs> all the, the wealthy. I was like, I was like, how could he even ask that? He loves this House of Madani. I just want to make sure you knew who it was. <laughs> so the dragon cultists do not attack, but they tell you to get out of the way as they raid the dungeon of the bathhouse. So Mortlock believes that Amric, uh, his older brother, is the one who is the mastermind behind the assassination attempt on him, and he urges the party to hunt him down and ransom Amric back to the family. And he runs a money laundering business at the Low Lantern Tavern along the docks. The party will hit level three at this point. That doesn't give you fireball, but it will give you scorching ray, Aaron. So almost there. Almost there. What's what's the difference? What's like the main difference? The big difference is uh, fireball is a big just AOE. A scorching ray is single target. Now, Per dam- oh, per per level spell and damage to a single target, Scorching Ray will get you uh, more damage. So if you're only trying to hit one dude and you cast Scorching Ray at level three, you'll deal more damage than if you hit that guy with Fireball. Okay, but like if I was hypothetically wanting to accidentally burn down a house or something. You could use the Scorching Ray. To, I mean, it's hard to call that an accident with a Scorching Ray since it's so targeted. But yeah, whereas like fireball, you open the door, throw it in, shut the door, and you let the screams just kind of civil out. But yeah, so far more easier call call burning down somebody's house in accident with a fireball than it is with a scorching ray. Be like, that's a very targeted spell. You would have had to aim it at the house, <laughs> yeah, or you suck at aiming. You like aimed at someone. I do want to point out this is descent into Avernus. Uh, fire spells are probably not the best ones to focus in. Yeah, fi- fire is going to go uh, pretty useless pretty quickly. Although, if you do go the route of uh, meta magic, you can change those spells into any element you want. Uh, so you become the avatar. Not, not quite. Because I mean, avatar uses all the elements, but he doesn't shift. Right, so this would be like I cast fireball, but I use meta magic to turn it into a ball of ice. 
Oh, uh, so Avatar is more pure. <laughs> yes, the Avatar is more more pure. So, cool. so there are a few choices uh, before the party. Now you have fulfilled the mission the Flaming Fist sent you on. You can return and report, or you can kind of just continue the investigation independently. Head to the Low Lantern and try and extort uh, one of the uh, patriarchs of Baldur Gate, either for information or just money. Right? If you get enough money. You can just pay the flaming fist to leave you alone, right? Yeah, extort sounds fun. Or uh, now that you have, like, you know, you, you you're you've kind of completed this mission, you could try and disappear into the crowd, in the hope that uh, you can find enough food to get through until they unseal the gate. Mm-hmm. I vote investigation. No, no need to go talk to the the meanie fists. Yeah, I agree. I heard the word extort, and that one sounds nice. And money. I heard it's extort and money. All right. So we're going to head to the Low Lantern Tavern, try and kidnap one of the patriarchs, and ransom him back. That's the plan. Should we uh, take a break around here? Okay. So we have been mentioning at the end of our episodes recently about the treasure room, how, as Aaron likes to describe it, in the floor we go deep into things, but in the treasure room we kind of go wide. And we wanted to give people who have never been in the treasure room uh, a little bit of a sample. So going forward, we'll probably be uh, putting in little bits and pieces here. So here is a small clip uh, from the treasure room. We hope you enjoy it and are interested in uh, learning more in there. For a thief, uh, being able to obtain true sight so you can see through magical darkness could really be an advantage. So yeah. I'm wondering if that could have been the treasure, right? To give the Kenku this true sight or devil sight is probably more. Devil sight, what, yeah. That yeah. actually would make sense. Give them devil yeah. sight, yeah. Yeah, it might be that. I think it was probably something really shiny. Welcome back to uh, our second part, well, like our 58th part of Avernus, but our second part of this episode. (laughs) Uh, We destroyed a bathhouse successfully. We met the cultists of Skyrim. Well, the knockoff version from Skyrim, right? These are the originals. Uh, Yes, I believe the dragon Dragon cultists cultists are the originals, yes. And then they didn't even want to fight us because they saw how powerful and awesome we were and they pretended like they had other plans but they were just terrified so they ran away uh, to destroy the bathhouse and then we finished our quest and now we're going to go extort for money yeah that's the plan all right you approach the low lantern tavern and you see fog obscures the low lantern until you get within a hundred feet of it whereupon its tall masts and creaking bulk and creaking bulk come into view the converted ship has rigging but no sails and is anchored to the wharf by thick chains. A wooden staircase climbs from the wharf's edge to the main deck. A lantern at the bow casts an eerie green light to signify that the lantern is open for business. Tavern is, the tavern is owned by a female mage that goes by the nickname The Captain. 
and two kinku work the bar and direct the party to the lowest deck of the ship where Amrik does his business. There's our next lore point, which is the kinku. Do either of you know what that is off the top of your head? Crow people. Sounds like a bird. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 the crow people. Okay. So Hey, I did good. So their backstory is complicated. If you ask Kenku, or at least Kenku who grew up with their own kind, they will tell you that they had their like their ancestors had their wings taken away because of a crime against the gods that they did not commit. Mm-hmm. And now they are kind of cursed to wander the world uh, flightless as vagabonds and burglars. So they tell you they're vagabonds and burglars. And then they ask to be your friends? Okay. They tell you, well, they tell you they were cursed with this reputation, right? And they, they suffer from this terrible reputation that they haven't earned. That's kind of the mythology that the Kenku believe in. Uh, they are avian, like you said. They're they're crow people, but they are unwinged, right? They have mm-hmm. arms, they have legs, but they don't have yeah. wings. Kind of like the dragonborn, right? No wings on a dragonborn. And they definitely do resemble something between a half human and a half crow. And we will, when we, uh, we should have a lore card on this as well. If you want to check either the Patreon or any of our social media, you'll see the lo- a lore card there with uh, some of the Kenku images that that uh, D&D has produced so you can get a good look at them. Or if you uh, have ever wanted to watch Rick and Morty, there's an episode on, you know, crow people. These ones have wings, but I'm sure it's very similar outside of that. So they've got long, dark beaks and dark or black feathers over their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, by habit and nature, they're just very secretive, and they often serve as assassins or thieves. Uh, Question about these assassin or thieves guys. Uh, so birds normally poop and pee out of the same orifice. Right. It's just like one big old go. Safe to assume the same Yeah, thing. so these bird people, uh, what's, what's their deal? I, yeah, probably probably safe to assume the same thing. Um, I guess my follow-up question I'll ask in the treasure room. All right. Uh, originally, they lived in small groups referred to as flocks, but in larger cities, they often end up in just joining gangs or small groups as that's kind yeah. of their yeah. nature to, to get into these little clustered groups, right, about the size of their flocks. They seem to lack any kind of moral compass other than survive, uh, right? Your job is to just survive. Dude, there's no right. There's no wrong. If you're alive tomorrow, you did the right thing. <laughs> oh, my heck. These guys came straight from cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like in cyberpunk, you don't save the world. You save yourself, right? That is that is the Kenku way, right? It's a great name for a cyberpunk gang. The Ken Kube. The Ken Kube. Sounds like a clan. So at nine, they leave their nests and they never return. Uh, and like I said, a lot of times when they get kicked out at that age, they'll be like a small cluster that will form their initial flock as they head out. Even when they're doing their thieving and assassination work, it is rare to see Kenku alone. Like even here in the Low Lantern Tavern, right, there are two Kenku working the bar, not just one, right? They... They do. They have this nature to really kind of cluster into into groups, even if it's just two. 
and I did already pointed out that the the story of how they lost their wings is seen mostly as myth and not lore or history in the Forgotten Realms. But according to that story, they plotted to steal the treasure of Gratz, one of the lords of the abyss, and were caught. And that is when he cursed them that their wings would fall off. But like I said, most people see their loss of the wings as more product of their evolution rather than the curse put on them. Uh, and then, as as you can probably see from it, their inspiration is uh, comes from a Japanese myth known as Tengu, which is a Shinto belief. And the, the, the Tengu were actually a blend of three animals, a human, a bird, and a monkey. But that is kind of the original inspiration for this creature and its introduction to D&D. We have met the Kenku, and we will now go where they have instructed us to meet with Amrik. The party descends... Uh, down past uh, a couple floors and there are thugs standing guard and if you want to uh, de- capture Amrik, you are likely going to have to deal with all these thugs. <laughs> so, uh, the main deck of the old ship features wooden steps that climb to the forecastle and aft castle and another set of stairs descending into the ship. A padlocked wooden hatch fitted with windows acts as a skylight for the deck below. Uh, the tavern proper, visible through the hatch's glass panes. Four dead seagulls lie on the deck, and two ravens squawk at you from the crow's nest, a 40-foot climb up the ship's rigging. Give me a perception roll. 17. 17, all right. So had you rolled under 10, nothing. But since you rolled 17, you are able to see through the magical illusion of the ravens, and these are imps. Hey, we know about them. I was going to say, yeah, I was like, if you listened to the the episode on imps, like, you probably would have guessed right away, like, with all the dead seals, be like, crows don't, ravens, ravens don't kill crows, right? But imps, I mean, seagulls, but imps probably do. I was playing Baldur's Gate 3, and I beat up a bunch of imps. All right. So, uh, Amrik has a place in the corner where he sits at a couch and uses a coffee table as kind of a desk. Uh, and then he's got a couple other couches around him for the clients to sit in. It's his business is kind of set up that this is a gambling place. You lose most of your money, all your money. You can come to him for a loan, right? He has a spine devil that sits behind him as one of his bodyguards. And this will bring us to another lore point, which is the spined devil. So a spigen, or sometimes called a spine devil, is similar to an imp or smaller gargoyle about about as big as a halfling or a gnome they have small wings uh and they've got quills all along uh their backs side like a kind of like a porcupine which is where they get that name the spined devil they also have a really sharp tail so it kind of makes it hard to attack them from behind without getting just getting your hand mangled in all of those spines that they have <clears throat> there um in the mine nine hells kind of like imps they're usually messengers of more powerful or higher intelligence devils and they're a little bit tougher, right? Bringing down an imp messenger is a little bit easy, whereas the spine devil, well, they're definitely a little tougher. Um, they are the highest ranking of the least Betezu. Uh, so we the Betezu is kind of a grouping of a type of devil, right? So it's like class A. It, it, it's the new world word for devils. But, I mean, they're broken up into... So these are the least devils, right? Mm. So yeah. they are, you know... Ah, uh, devil light. Devil light. There you go. Uh, 
So do their small size. Uh, the creature off. They they also travel in in packs and in combat. They can fire uh, the spines that will ignite into flames once they leave the creature's body. However, they rarely choose to fight. They usually prefer to alert stronger uh, devils of the danger. And so that does make it kind of an interesting choice as a bodyguard for Emric, which uh, also might indicate that even though it kind of looks like a bodyguard, it might serve another purpose, like to go bring in a tougher devil to fight for it. Or a scout. Yeah. All right, we will call it here. We're about to engage in conversation with Emric. A little lore heavy in this episode, uh, but we, inter- we we bumped into a bunch of creatures we haven't talked about before and are not quite as common in most D&D playthroughs. I mean, I don't, in all my actual playthroughs, I've never encountered a Kenku. I've just seen some pictures of them, so. <laughs> Kenku and the devil light. All right, so for our treasure room question, if the Kenku actually did try to steal this treasure, what did they try to steal? And these very secretive clandestine creatures, how did they plan to steal it? And what went wrong that they got caught? That's the treasure room question. What are your What are your thoughts? Your that theories, was your like ideas seven questions, but uh, on this, yeah, I this whole event of their mythology here. So, if you want our answers, check it out in the treasure room, along yeah. with a bunch of weird, random stuff Aaron has thought of. So, yeah. we <laughs> hope you've been floored. True. Now, go floor your friends. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We have mentioned in the past that if you go to the Patreon page. We have collections of all the different worlds and pieces of lore we have covered. For example, if you want everything we have ever done about Baldur's Gate, from the invention of D&D to Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, Dark Alliance, all of that, you can find individual collections for all of those, or just one big collection containing all of Baldur's Gate or all of D&D. So everything we have covered, everything we have covered, Eberron, Marvel, DC, Alien Zooniverse, Cyberpunk, Dune, and more. We have collections for each of those worlds. And I do want to mention that on the Patreon, the only thing behind the subscription is the Treasure Room content. Anything that has been released in the podcast for free is still free there. It is just a better organization of the information that the podcast app doesn't let us do. They are just a big list and you just got to type in your search words. On the Patreon, there are tags for everything. You got fantasy, D&D, creature features, Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, Dark Alliance, all of that. Just an individual tag for those episodes. And as I said, we do have collections just to make this as easy as possible to find what you're looking for. We have learned in the past that a lot of people who listen to the floor, they're interested in one or two of the worlds. And they may check out one or two of the episodes when we switch worlds. But they're really just mostly interested in that. So we just want to like consolidate everything you're looking for to make it just as easy as possible to access. So... Check that out just to make your life easier. And uh, we are working at making sure you can download any of the free episodes there. So even if you're going to lose Wi-Fi or connection, you can get the episodes you want before that happens. Or just not burn your data while you're traveling to and from work or whatever else is you do while you listen. And uh, thank you. I hope you continue to enjoy the show.